Welcome into a summer edition of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritsch and Rick Broering with you. Rick, it's great to be back with you. It's been a little bit since you and I have recorded a podcast together, but this gives us a chance to talk about some of the things that we can catch you up on since the last time. We're talking about some of the new guys that have gotten to campus recently, who started practicing, you're getting into these summer months, talk about the current roster, some of the recruiting. We've had a lot of schedule updates since the last time we've talked. So a lot of things to kind of go through here. It's good to talk to you, Rick. It's good to see you again. And uh, let's get let's get right into it here. What's the first thing on your mind that you want to talk about? Um, we probably should start with some of these new guys that have gotten to campus and, and what's been going on these last couple of weeks now as we sit here on June 15th. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the biggest thing is this past week, really, this second week of June here is when they've really got into full workouts. Everybody is on campus now, both all the new transfers and all the new freshmen are in town and they've been cleared physically to start practicing, working out with the team. I guess it's not official practices yet, but the the rules allow for you to do so much more than they used to. They get four hours of on-court workouts per week and four hours of actual like in the weight room workouts per week. So you can divide that up however you like. Like some days they might be doing individual workouts with like two guys at a time. And then other days they may have the whole team on the court and installing stuff and going through some different things. So I think that's a good place to start is with those newcomers. And I guess, Paul, I get what I'm really interested in is out of probably the transfers, because really the freshmen, it's it's a different scenario. Uh, but you can you can answer with a freshman if you like. Out of the newcomers, who are you most excited to see? Who do you think is going to have the biggest impact? I, I guess those are two different questions. So let, let's start with who do you think is going to have the biggest impact immediately? Yeah, biggest impact. Let me. Mm, that's a good question. I, I I was thinking I'm most excited to see. I'll answer it that way. I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it back on you. All right. I'm most I'm most excited to see Abu Uzmain. Because I think he's a a big guy that we haven't really seen the mold of in the last few years from Xavier, and I'm ex- I'm just kind of excited to see something a little different and see these guys get in here under Sean and and what a guy like him can bring to the table. Because we've seen these guys like Nunji, you know, some of these taller guys, these taller bodies that we've seen that have kind of morphed into that Xavier post presence over the last few years. But at least he seems to me. You've watched a whole lot more film on him than I have, Rick, over the last few months. But he seems to me like a guy that brings a different kind of fit to this table, right? Definitely different. And I think he's the guy that I would have answered who who am I most interested to see or excited to see, like you said, because I just don't feel like I know a whole lot about where he's yes. at right now, at the, at least playing in the Big East level. Like, I obviously saw what he did at North Texas. I saw all the film. And... Uh, he's he's physical, really physical, and he is different than what Xavier's had at that position. Jack Nungy, long, skilled, a very good player, but probably not a guy that you would label as the most physical or not the most physically imposing. So Abu is definitely going to give them a different look inside. I think he's probably a little bit more defensive-minded, definitely a more, more of a rebounder, I, I would think, uh, as opposed to being like an offensive skill guy. But I'm interested to see on the offensive end, can they throw it into him and get a bucket? I mean, a lot of what they do with their bigs now is getting the ball to them early, letting them run the floor, getting the ball to them early in the post and trying to get to the free throw line, obviously. And that is something that he did well at North Texas. He got to the free throw line a lot. So I think that definitely translates to Xavier's offense and how they want to use him. But beyond that, I, I think my expectations are just 
Uh, I guess I don't know where they're at right now for him on the offensive <laughs> end because I'm not sure exactly how everything translates. Okay, so I'll, I'll flip it back. The question he originally asked, who do I think makes the biggest impact of the new guys on the team? So basically what we're deciding here, if, if we're really boiling this down, we're deciding between Quincy Oliveri, Usmain, Davion McKnight, and Logan Duncan, right? Because we're omitting yeah. the guys that are coming back and we're omitting the freshmen. Yeah, I mean, if of you want to use a freshman, you can. I just, I find it hard to believe you think one of the freshmen are going to have a bigger impact than those transfers. No, no. And we've heard <laughs> we've heard enough about the freshmen over the years. Let's have a little fun here. Of those four guys that are going to come in, um, I'm going to lean, I'm going to say Oliveri. I'm going to give him as as a senior. I'm just going to lean more toward that on, on the experience and what he's going to bring to the table. Uh, Rick, same answer, different answer. So that would be my answer as well. And I think he's the most important piece that they've brought in. And here's my reason why. Same thing as I, I talked about going into last year. They need shooting. That Once again, when you look at this roster, I'm wondering where does all the shooting come from? And they're going to go about it differently than they have in years past. They showed us that last season. They pound the ball inside. They get to the free throw line more often. This team may take that to a new extreme because I think they're going to be really good at getting the free throw line. I think they're going to be tough. I don't know how well they're going to be able to stretch you out and knock down three-point shots. Quincy Oliveri is the one guy who can do that at a very high level, I think, Assuming he's able to make that jump from the mid-major level in Conference USA, he came from Rice up to the Big East at Xavier because he he attempted over seven three-pointers per game when he was at Rice. This is a guy who's done it at a prolific level in his college career. I believe he's Rice's all-time leading three-point shooter. It's been a while since he committed. I I remember I wrote all those things back then. Yes. Okay. Um, So – he's the guy to me that I feel like is the most important piece. You could argue either him or Davion McKnight. They need one of them to kind of be this year's Sule boom, so to speak, to where you really get a star out of one of those two or a, a top option on the offensive end. One of your probably two or three best players. And uh, it has to be one of those guys. And I do lean towards Oliveri potentially being the more important piece because of the shooting aspect. Okay, so when I say Oliveri, Usmain, and McKnight, and I say that this upcoming Xavier team is going to be the Conference USA All-Stars, how accurate is that statement? Oh, I mean, look, Sean Miller's already had that success, right? He's already got the pipeline (laughs) with Conference USA going. They've continued that. I think they must have seen – some of it is definitely – coincidental right it's just happened to be the guys that they were able to get and the guys that they liked came from that conference but i also think they've seen something of like hey this is a level where you can find some guys that are talented enough to make that jump and it seems to translate fairly well they've played some big time opponents and big time buy games and and played another high major gyms already and and some of these teams do make the tournament so i, I think there's probably a little bit of both, some coincidental and and some of the fact that, hey, it's worked for us in the past, so we're going to keep going to that pipeline. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question to that was, is there something about Conference USA that you feel like this coaching staff and Sean Miller have looked at specifically because you feel like it's the league or whatever? And, and I know you just kind of answered that, but yeah. is there something else that you've heard from the coaches or is it just purely coincidence? You know, that's actually a good point. I probably should ask them a little bit more about that in depth. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's some... PR type answer they'll give us yes. of, oh, yeah, we've had success in the past with it. But it reminds me a little bit of Mountain West Conference. The Mountain West is, is more talented, in my opinion. But I think they're both kind of similar in that they're 
more mid-majory type conferences that end up with a fair amount of high level dudes in terms of talent and and even guys that can go play professionally. So I think maybe that's what it is more than anything is you just have some talented guys that have either fallen through the cracks or they have some baggage or maybe you don't always have the best coaching staffs at that level. Uh, but there is some talent in those leagues. And I think maybe that's why some of those guys translate well. Sure. Okay. So now what about the freshmen here uh, of the freshmen coming into this roster? You have Trey Reed, Dalen, uh, and Kachi coming in four new guys. That'll be fresh onto the scene. And we've talked at length. If you have been a listener of this podcast for as long as this podcast has been going on predating me, you will know that the freshmen, no matter how good they may be and no matter how many stars they may have next to their name, there is always some expectations that should probably be tempered as to how quickly they can contribute right away as freshmen. Um, how do you see that kind of playing out here with this group, Rick? Because I think it feels like when you combine the transfers and the freshmen in this day and age of college basketball, maybe there is an opportunity for a couple of these guys to relatively burst on the scene this year. Well, yeah, I mean, you start worrying really when your freshmen don't get on the court at all because you wonder, will they even stick around for a second year and give us that chance to develop them? So that always plays a factor. But I do think with this Xavier team, especially with some of the more experienced players that they've brought in through the transfer portal that we just talked about, it's going to be tough for a lot of these freshmen to break into the rotation early in their careers. I think it's going to take them some time. Um I would guess there's at least some some time for one or two of them to get on the floor right away, but I can't see all four c- contributing. I think the guy that probably has the best chance to contribute immediately is Trey Green. And again, I go back to they don't have a lot of shooting on this roster. He was, in my opinion, and and not just my opinion, but plenty of other people's. And, and really, when you go back and you look at the synergy stats across the different uh, Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, grassroots uh, uh, sure. levels, he was the, statistically the best three-point shooter in the country a season ago uh, during tra- uh, during the travel spring and summer season. So I think Trey Green is the one guy, especially because, you know, y- yes, you have Davion McKnight and you have Desmond Claude, two ball handlers, but both of those guys could also be looked at as kind of combo type guards as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if Trey Green finds his way onto the court for 10 to 15 minutes a game potentially early on. Before we get into the current roster and some of the updates that we have, we don't have any ads on this podcast, but I do want to pitch that this podcast is a little branch of Musketeer Report. And if you want to subscribe to musketeerreport.com, you can do that. Rick, I, there was a sale going on yesterday as we record this. Is that sales? Still, I think you said it was the last day, right? Yeah, it, well, it, it ended at midnight, but I got good news actually just before we started recording this. An email went out and they said things were going really well with our site. We had been one of the leaderboards earlier in the week. We did fall out of that by the end of the week, but we were one of the leaderboards in the entire country, uh, 247sports.com. So they're going to keep it going for our site for uh, a few more weeks here. 50% off. They're dropping it by 10%. So hopefully you got in before that. But if you didn't, you're just hearing this. No worries. You still got your chance. 50% off annual subscription right now at musketeerreport.com. And by the way, people will sometimes say, oh, you you know, you don't offer anything for your current subscribers that offer us something. This is available to current subscribers. If you're on a monthly plan right now, you can upgrade to annual and get that 50% off as well. So if you, you were testing it out, you're like, I just want to try it out monthly for right now. Go ahead and make the full plunge. You liked what you've seen so far. You've stayed with us this long. Get 50% off and go annual. 
so obviously a lot of people are listening to this in audio form, but now it is also available in video form too. You have this fancy template that we have that we're working through here on YouTube. You also have a great background there, Rick. I love what you did with the house. You did some uh, interior decorating. Well, yeah. Well, you know, we had to do the nursery for the the baby coming next month. So it's mm. like, while we're at it, let's just uh, start knocking out everything. Uh, I, I will say before I get called out on this, credit to uh, James Rapine of, of uh, Cincinnati Bengals talk on on YouTube because I, I basically stole his background idea. This is who are the, essentially who, are the bo- who are the bobbleheads back there? I can't. Uh, this is Sean Alexander, the best Northern Kentucky okay. athlete at preps in his Boone County High School jersey, mind you. I was going to say that light was covering preps. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is Terrell Holloway. You re- you may remember him. This was given out as a promotional item for his uh, All-American campaign. Got it. Okay. This is Byron Larkin, autographed bobblehead. No farther explanation needed. All right. Is that is that Tony Parker or Manu? That is Mark Gasol for the Memphis Grizzlies, a dancing, swaying hips bobblehead that our guy Dan <laughs> pull it off the shelf. Pull it off the shelf. Our guy Dan, uh, who used to do the Dan and Victory podcast with me, <laughs> once went. It's the worst bobblehead I've ever seen in my entire life. It makes absolutely no sense. He it got bobble. this at a game. It, it sways. It's like a swivel hip and arm thing. He's supposed to dance. He's supposed to be. So it's like one of those little hula people that you like put on the dashboard, and they worst worst bobblehead ever. And Dan gave it to me for some reason as a gift, and so uh, I, I'm not a bobblehead guy. I only have these random few that I've kept over the years, and for some reason I can't let go of this one. It's still here. That's fantastic. I, from here, it kind of looked like a Spurs jersey, and I know you're a Spurs fan, so I figured it was one of the two, but I couldn't tell. Yeah, Sp- Spurs over on the other side, big guy. There we go. Okay, yeah. sorry right. about that little. Uh, Side side note. No, that's fantastic. People like seeing it. All right. Uh, let's talk about the current roster. Uh, uh, John Rothstein tweeted yesterday, I believe, uh, that Zach Fremantle had been cleared for non-contact work. He's on track to be fully cleared for all basketball-related activities at some point in July per Sean Miller, which means that, look, this is an injury that he didn't play after the end of January. They were hoping that he'd come back in March. Then he ended up getting surgery. And now all of a sudden it's lingering into the summer. Uh, before we get into Cam Craft, too, um, and I know a lot of this, too, is available on the message board. So you can get a lot of more information, whether it's recruiting, injury updates, anything like that. You can get a lot more information on this on the message board. But as we're talking about this, how does this affect you know his offseason? Where is he? All those things. What what are we working through here with with Zach Fremantle? Yeah, actually, just uh, like two weeks ago, I posted an update on both of these guys about where they were at and everything, and and when the staff expects them to kind of get back into the mix. And I think the big thing with Zach was once it was clear that he wasn't able to get back for the season, then it essentially became okay. Well, are you coming back to Xavier for another year at all? And, and he had to recover either way. But when that was all decided, from from now until really the start of next season there's Xavier has no worries about what Zach Fremantle is doing in terms of how much basketball they know what they can get out of him. They just need him to be healthy and need him to get right. So they're not going to push this thing at all. Now don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This doesn't mean Zach isn't going to be working incredibly hard to get himself right physically, but it's all going to be focused on physical therapy and healing. And there will be plenty of basketball along the way and skill workouts and all that stuff. But in terms of like getting into the mix, playing five on five, playing full court, I think they're going to be 
very, very cautious with Zach as it goes. And also, especially when you factor in this overseas trip that they're taking to the Bahamas and the extra practices with all of that, the banging that's going to take place. I don't think you want Zach Freeman to have that long of a season again this year coming off another foot injury. I think you want to try to shrink that season down a little bit, make sure he's not taking that type of pounding. So again, I expect them to be very cautious. I don't think you'll see him do much actual basketball stuff with the team until we get into the month of August. Not to get too far off track here, but just we'll probably podcast before the the Bahamas trip anyway. But just real quick, I remember last time when they went to Spain, we talked at the end of that following season and we talked about how the season was just so long because they went to Spain. They came back. They had practiced in the summer. Did it wear on guys that they basically had like a nine month season? Have you gotten anything more of these international because they're only playing two games it's right down to the bahamas it's a whole lot different they're going all the way over to spain anything on that i think the big thing there is you get the 10 extra practices in the summer and sometimes maybe you have an older veteran team that may not be as fun for you you may not want to extend your season like that but other times especially a year like this where last year even though you were changing out the entire coaching staff it wasn't as much of a rebuilding year or retooling year as you would normally expect in that situation because they had so many experienced pieces coming back and they they tried to just keep the core of that NIT championship team together and they were successfully able to do that. So this year now is kind of more of that retooling, rebuilding year where you've got a lot of new pieces that need to come together. And so I think those 10 extra practices before you leave for the overseas trip is really where that you get the value here. And I think that's what they're looking towards. Now, does it make it a longer season for some of the guys? Absolutely. And that's why I think with Zach Freeman specifically, a veteran, a guy who knows what you want out of him, what the system is and all of those types of things, they're probably not going to be using him a whole lot prior to the start of real practices. Sure. Uh, All right. Cam Craft, what's the update on Cam? Yeah, now Cam, I've been told, is much farther behind Zach in terms of how close he is to actually getting back to do basketball stuff. I know you've seen some pictures posted recently where, you know, he's talking about his recovery and he's getting closer. I think there was a a picture of him actually out on the court shooting the other day. But um, what I was told is, you know, we obviously had that kneecap situation, which I believe Adam Baum had reported on towards the end of the season where he had dislocated his kneecap. And uh, then came back, tried to play on. He actually got in for like a minute in that Texas game in the NCAA tournament that they lost. And um, then after the season, they went back to, I think, clean that up and and do some surgery on that and found that he had also torn his meniscus is what I was told. So he had been playing on a torn meniscus as well. And I think, you know, really Cam Kraft just wasn't himself. For, for a lot of the latter part of last season. And it explains some things because uh, he, he didn't really look like himself or not the guy that we had seen in high school in terms of his confidence and the way he was moving on the offensive end. So um, it, it really stinks that he's not getting this offseason to just focus on getting better and improving his game. He's also having to rehab. And, and quite honestly, right now, it's a lot of just trying to get healthy and stay off of the, the leg altogether. So I think... It, it, on one hand, it, it's it's really a bummer that he's not getting to improve. But on the other, it's it is kind of telling that he had this injury situation going on last year, and we really could see a completely different player this year if he is back to being 100 percent healthy. 
Oh, I think you you were spot on on the the post that you wrote about Cam and where it just felt like he was timid. It felt like when you watched his high school highlights, it wasn't the same player, right? It just it just felt like somebody that was a shell of himself as compared to what we thought we were going to see out of him on the court at Cintas. It, it just didn't feel like the same type of guy, whether it was confidence, whether it was an injury, whether whatever it was that was holding him back, whether it was mental, physical, it doesn't matter. There, there was a gap that had to be crossed there, and it just, it just never felt like that gap was. Yeah, I still have confidence in Cam Craft, and again, he is a guy who can really shoot it from the outside. And if you're asking me, out of all the newcomers on this team and and guys that are currently on the team, I, I still buy into Cam Craft potentially being the best three-point shooter on this roster if he's healthy and if he's right. He was that good in high school, and if you go back to like. I'm not talking about my reports or like Xavier friendly write-ups. I'm talking about national guys and guys from other schools and other really big time programs, coaches that made comments. Like there were a lot of people that were really high on Cam Craft coming out of high school and really thought he could be something special. So I I would definitely not be ready to write him off in any way, shape or form, but he does have to get healthy first. And in today's era where guys are so quick to, if they're not able to break into the lineup and they feel like they're getting recruited over, they're quick to leave. You really do feel like in a lot of ways, this could be a make or break year for camp craft at Xavier. Sure. All right. Let's talk about anything from the summer workouts. They've been going at it a little bit here lately and, and getting back on the campus. Guys able to get together, the team getting together, getting a little chemistry there going. And you're starting to see some of the content. You're seeing the pictures, videos coming out. Sean Miller's had his camp last week. So all these things have started to happen here over the summer. Any news, nuggets, and notes from that, Rick? Yeah. Now, now keep in mind, we're talking about literally like a handful of workouts. So like four hours worth of workouts at this Rick, point. This so- is the best. This is like, <laughs> you know, so-and-so hit three threes. He was, this is, this is the OTAs of college basketball. Re- you know, that's a great, Joe, a Joe, great Joe Burrow hit, hit, <laughs> J, you know, Jamar chase for a 30 yard out. And you know, the crowd goes nuts. That's on the bridge overlooking the outdoor practice field. That is what this is. Yeah. So, uh, the very, very brief comments I, I have in terms of like actual what we've seen from these guys, the only slight thing that I've really heard so far is I would say the guards are definitely ahead of the big men. I think the big men naturally always take a little bit longer to adjust, but especially these guys that are you got uh, Logan Dunkham coming over from Indiana, new way of doing things, trying to get in the mix, find his footing and Abu Uzman making that jump up from the mid-major level at North Texas to come into Xavier. I think both of those guys are are getting used to how things are done, as you'd expect. So guards probably ahead of the bigs in terms of who's looked good. But I have another little bit more juicy nugget for you that I think fans might okay. find somewhat interesting. Um a little bit of a wrinkle this year. Now you're still going to see the same man-to-man defense mostly from Xavier. Uh oh, buckle up. But I think you've seen at different times they they wanted something else to use, a, a different wrinkle. They'd go to a zone maybe, and didn't probably have a lot of success with it. And from what I understand, Sean Miller has been talking to Darren Horn at Xavier or at NKU rather, and they've been doing a little swap. NKU taking a little of Sean Miller's offensive philosophy, adding it to what they want to do, maybe try to play a little more up-tempo this year. On the other side, Xavier taking some notes on the matchup zone defense that NKU is known for, that you know they held UC to 11 points in the second half last year with it. They held 
Houston to what 60 something points in the NCAA tournament game and, and had them on the ropes in the first round 16 versus one game. So I think the philosophy here is this, the matchup zone, especially the way NKU plays it is hard to do if you're not going to commit to it and really understand it, have that full-time communication. But at the same time, like Xavier's probably not great at whatever their changeup is going to be. Their two, three zone. That's just straight up. Probably isn't that good either. Cause they're not going to spend yeah. a lot of time playing it or working on it. And the difference there is a normal two, three zone doesn't really screw anybody up a whole lot. Teams see it enough. They work on it. It's not something crazy or weird. This matchup zone, like teams don't even know what to run against. They're like, are you playing man or what should we be in our man? To ma- should we stay in our ball screen motion or should we stop? Should we go two guard? What are we doing here? There's, there's like a three possession transition period a lot of times where they're trying to figure out what they should even be running against it. And I I'll think be honest, that's what for, Xavier's looking for. Yeah. For as much as I've watched NKU over the last couple of seasons, that fires me up. I mean, to, to hear you say that and to see what NKU has been able to implement in the horizon and, and the way they play defense and then to translate that potentially to the big East level. I'm sure. Why not? And let me put this in terms that fans might like a little bit better because I'm coming at it from the NKU perspective. That's where I think, you know, Xavier's kind of getting it from because of the relationship between uh, Darren and Sean. But like this is the same defense that Mick Cronin used at UC a lot while he was there. This is the same defense that Rick Pitino used at Louisville. Uh, this is a defense that uh, uh, Willard, Ralph Willard, has actually kind of the the godfather of this defense, and and his son Kevin Willard has used it at Seton Hall at different times, and and taken that with him. So, it is a defense that has, has had a lot of success. It screws teams up, and again, this is not something that's going to become full time. But I think it's just something that might be another wrinkle for Xavier, something to put in their their toolkit that I think could be interesting going into this year. You just subjected yourself to either. A summer of Tyreek Jones can shoot threes, or maybe this just flies under the radar. I don't know. But you may have opened up that Pandora's box on the message board for the rest of the summer. Well, it, look, I, I think the the we need a change up defensively is one of the fans' favorite topics regardless during the season. Like everybody wants to just always yeah. change defenses. So it's not something that was going to go away in terms of conversation. So I'm just adding a little more detail to it, hopefully. And by the way, they could try this for a couple weeks and workouts and be like, man, that ain't going to work. And we never see it. <laughs> so you're absolutely right. Uh, all right. Best NBA prospect on the current roster. Yeah, this was a topic that came up on the message board a little bit the the last week of who does Xavier have right now that is actual NBA talents potentially? Why don't you go first with this one, Paul? Who do you like on this team? Who do you think is their best NBA prospect? Oh, boy. Um, I, it's hard for me to know like any of these new guys without really seeing them at the Big East level. It's best. Oh, man. Hey, guess uh, what? NBA scouts agree with you. <laughs> those guys aren't, aren't on the NBA scouts radar either for the most part. So yeah. Like I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at this roster that, that we have, you have going into next year. Des Claude, maybe. I think that, I think that's the obvious answer. And quite honestly, right now, I don't know if I even see another guy on this team that I would look at and yep. say, yeah, he's clearly going to be on NBA teams radars. I mean, I'm, I'm going down here the one through 12 Des Claw is the only guy here I'm coming up with. It's kind of interesting because I think it, and not that, not that Xavier's had a ton of NBA prospects in recent history in general, but it's I think it's kind of changed with the transfer portal era to where 
a lot of these teams do end up loading up on experienced guys that have had success and been productive at the mid-major level, but they went to the mid-major level at first for a reason, right? Like they are somewhat limited in a certain area or they're not big enough or they don't shoot it well enough. Whatever the reason is that they start at the mid-major level probably is the same reason they're probably not going to be an NBA talent. Now, Sule Boom was a guy who almost overcame his lack of size and may still overcome his lack of size. I don't think he's on a lot of NBA radars in terms of getting drafted, but he'll get some workouts and maybe get his opportunity. I'm interested to see will Davion McKnight turn into a player like that or or does maybe Quincy Oliveri somehow end up in, in that type of situation. But for right now, I think Des Claude is really the obvious answer and maybe the only one. Sure. Uh, any more additions to this roster? It was funny. We were talking before we came on the air and I was talking about how I hadn't done a season recap at the end of the rebound rundown season. And I had just left it at the end of the year, the last game, it was just how it ended. And I said, well, you know, I, I wanted to do a season recap that also included some transfer portal updates, but it felt like every time it'd be Xavier or UC or NKU or somebody would have some news. And I just, every time it would be the portal, the portal, the portal, which I guess to me had been a different experience this year because last year following it as closely as we did, it was very different because Sean Miller had come in and was trying to build the roster and was getting guys here and there, but also as we've talked about, and as everybody listening to this knows was retaining a lot of the roster. So it was a, it was a different experience following the portal last year than it has been this year. So now here we sit in the middle of June. Is this, is this it? Is this, is this what we got here, Rick? I, it's tough to say because on one hand, I, I keep hearing they're comfortable with the roster as is. They don't feel like they need to add anything else. This is a, a good team they have in everyone's mind. They're good to go. At the same time, every time a new name pops into the transfer portal, it seems like Xavier reaches out and is interested in the kids. So it's kind of tough for me to say, yeah, they're definitely done because a lot of times it seems like when you're constantly reaching out to guys like that, you end up getting someone eventually. And uh, whether it's a, a difference maker or just an end of the bench type guy or maybe an extra shooter, I'm not sure, but I think they're going to keep looking. So I'm hesitant to say they're done, but right now I don't have any actual names that are on the radar and that they're actively pursuing. There are a few that they reached out to. I've talked about them on the message board. I don't think they're going very far or anywhere else. So um, I'll continue to monitor those situations and, and you guys can ask about them more on the message board if you want. But right now, I don't think there are really any transfer portal names to, to keep an eye on. All right, let's do everybody's favorite June activity and pick the starting lineup. I, I will go first and say, we're going to assume that Zach Fremantle is healthy. We're going to, we're going to assume that Zach is, is playing as Zach plays. So I'll go. Zach, Dez, McKnight, that's three, Jerome, meh, uh, where we go five here, you go another guard, Trey Green's not going to start right away, you go huge and go Uzmane, you go Oliveri, probably Oliveri, right? Okay, so that would be my lineup that you just named. I actually think Zach Freeman is end up, end, going to end up playing more center than people want to admit right now. Um, okay. 
and maybe even the coaching staff because they clearly went out. They got multiple centers in Logan Duncombe and Abu Uzman. They have Kachienze coming in as is a it Mon? I'm saying Maine. Is it Mon? I believe it's Mon Uzman. Okay, yeah, I think. Apologies, Abu. Yeah. Apologies. Um, he can correct us on that when he gets to the media room. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll be quick to do that's, so. That's brutal on me. I should know that. That's a broadcasting. <laughs> that's gonna keep. That is gonna keep me up tonight. I will tell you that. You're such a pro, Paul. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of like who wait, let's up, let's clean that up. What spot? what 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 would your be? What would be your starting lineup? Let's clean that up because I was kind of all over the place. So I I would go. Uh, Point guard would be Desmond or Davion McKnight, depending on kind of yeah. how you view that situation. But those two guys playing the backcourt, Quincy Oliveri as a third guard in the mix, then Jerome mm-hmm. Hunter at the four and Zach Fremantle at the five. Now, yep. that being said, I think the way we've kind of framed this most of the summer is that it would be Abu Usman or or maybe Logan Dunkelman if he ended up being the better center um, out of the transfer portal alongside Zach. And then, you know, a lot of people are talking about Jerome Hunter running it back as sixth man of the year. I don't, I don't see how he doesn't start after the year he just had and, and him agreeing to come back this year. It feels like he is very much a starter on this team heading into the season. Now, I don't know that anyone would be, would be married to that or that like Sean Miller would be afraid to sit Jerome Hunter down on the bench, but I, I hesitate to take him out of the starting lineup. And I think it's going to be tough to get all three of Abu Usman, Zach Fremantle, and Jerome Hunter into the starting lineup a lot, especially from an offensive standpoint. And I also think uh, you probably end up, when you're trying to get your five best players on the floor, you probably end up going smaller more often than not. So I'm going to lean with you. I'm going to go with the smaller lineup. One more question on this roster before we get into some recruiting. Just because I'm curious, I watched him a lot in high school, broadcasted Moeller, not consistently, but I came through and saw a lot of Moeller in high school when Logan Duncan was there. Um, And I'm sure a lot of people listening here, probably GCL fans that are are listening to this, probably saw a lot of Logan Duncan. He didn't have the Indiana career that I think people were hoping that he would have when he came out of Moeller and went to, to Indiana. And now he comes over here to Xavier for a fresh start, see what he can do under Sean Miller. But I don't think expectations for him are very high given what he was or I guess was not able to do at Indiana. Do you have any read on on Logan's situation? Yeah, I mean, personally, I have no idea what to expect out of him either. But when I talk to people, I get one of two reactions. The first is kind of what you'd expect of like, I just didn't have it. He wasn't quick enough, a little too stiff and just not a high major player. The other is that, look, this is a guy who was uh, uh, too talented for Xavier the first time around. They really wanted him as uh, a prospect coming out of high school. They weren't able to land him. Uh, they that, that would have been a huge recruit at the time had Xavier gotten him as, as a, a high school prospect. So the fact that they're getting him on the rebound and basically he's been nicked up with injuries and playing behind Trace Jackson Davis and other pretty talented big men at Indiana. There's a lot of people who feel like he just hasn't really gotten a a fair shot or a clean shot yet where he's actually healthy and, and playing at full capacity. So I'm not saying that I would have high expectations for him, but I also would not be ready to write this guy off just yet. Again, he was a a top 75 ish type prospect when he was coming out of high school and a guy who could play with some skill, but also had a big body and could pound, pound down low and rebound and played with a high motor. So 
I'm really interested to see what he looks like in practice and, and he'll have to earn everything that he gets in this rotation, but I think there's a chance we could see him. Okay. All right. Well, let's move into recruiting here. Then we're going to talk about the schedule a little bit more and then uh, we'll get, get you on, on out of here, but this has been good discussion so far in the 2024 recruiting, not transfer portal stuff. Um, again, a lot of this is already on the message board, but Xavier did pick up a class of 2024 recruit and Jonathan Powell. If you haven't been following that, uh, what can you tell us about Powell, Rick, what he brings to the table and just a, a pretty brief overview of, of that recruit. Yeah. So he's in that like six, six, this range, kind of a Trayvon Blewettish height. I would say he's, here we go. That is the kicker to start the segment right <laughs> well, there. Well, Rick. I, I'm just saying, cause like you, you get in at like six, when you say a guy's six, six, it's like, well, is he more like a six, four, six, five wing who's listed at six, six, or is he more like a six, 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 seven guy that could potentially play the small forward forward spot. Right. And I would say when you look at Jonathan Powell in terms of his height, he seems on the bigger side of that six, five, six, six, whatever he is. He seems more of like the Trayvon Blewett mold who, if he continues to bulk up, could potentially play like an undersized forward spot for you. Um, you know, he's listed as a shooting guard right now, but he is a bigger wing. He, he's starting to fill out and come into his body a little bit more, got wider shoulders and, and a stronger upper body now. So still on the thinner side, but definitely starting to fill out. Not a great athlete, not super fluid or, or a real defensive-minded player, but he can do one thing at a real high level, and it's my favorite thing to do at a real high level. He can shoot the ball, Paulie. And uh, that's something that this roster has needed, I've felt like, for years, obviously. And in terms of high school prospects, you're not going to find one that's done it at a, a more efficient clip or at a more prolific clip than he has. I mean, he's taken like over 500 th- or almost 500 threes, I believe, in three years of high school basketball, and he's shooting over 40%. Uh, throughout his career. And that includes playing varsity as a freshman. So a lot of times you think about, you know, that, that young 14, 15 year old kid playing up varsity as a freshman, you're going to shoot like 25% that first year, or you're not going to attempt many. He attempted over a hundred threes and and shot a really high percentage still, even as a freshman. So uh, definitely that's the biggest thing that stands out about him is his ability to shoot from the outside. Rick, where are we in the process of the recruiting for 2024 in the sense of, you know, you had Travis Steele and all the recruits that he was looking at when he was head coach at Xavier and obviously still had Dante Jackson on the coaching staff. Dante is on Sean's coaching staff. So you have some overlap there of guys that Dante was looking at and that they had prioritized. Of course, you know, guys that they have been looking at for years and now are, are going to get into their junior, senior years of high school. So now you have Sean, who's been there a year. You have a class of 2023, 2024 next year. So you start to filter a lot of that out. But is there still overlap? I know you mentioned a little bit of that in this write-up. Yeah, with Jonathan Powell, I think that's maybe the one name. And why so early on? I mean, we're only in June here. Last year, you think about it, Xavier didn't land. Now, granted, it was a new coaching staff coming in. But they didn't land their first incoming freshman for the 2023 class until August of last summer. Right now, they already have their first commit for the 2024 class in June of this summer. So they're definitely ahead of schedule here with Jonathan Powell. But the reason it felt like it was important to get that commit early is because they had been on him for a while. They had Dante had been recruiting him since Travis Steele was the head coach at Xavier. And he had put a lot of time. I wrote about it in the piece about how he had spent summer workouts, you know, early morning workouts at Centerville High School 
in there watching Jonathan and recruiting him. And, and he had been to all these different AAU games. And when he changed AAU teams this spring, he started out playing with all Ohio red on the Nike circuit. He, he changed over to the Adidas circuit for uh, Midwest basketball club. And uh, which was his former team. And Xavier was there that first night, Friday night. Like they made sure to be at the Adidas event to see him. And I think all of that got to a point where it's like, all right, he's coming on his official visit. He's either going to pull the trigger and commit to Xavier, or this is just isn't what he's looking for. He's he, he wants to commit to Michigan State or Indiana or one of those other Big Ten schools that that were recruiting him hard. And the way it worked out for Xavier is uh, they were able to convince him on the visit to to pull the trigger and commit. So that was definitely a big one. Okay, so where are we with some of the other visits? I know Bishop Boswell uh, just uh, visited Jackson McAndrew. Um, so a couple of guys that are around here or. Yeah, they did just visit, right? Both yeah. of them just just finished up. Yep. Um, yeah, I was just trying to make sure I had my timeline right here. Uh, so just anything from those two? Yeah, I just wrote a, a post on the board about it, actually, with kind of updates of where both are at. But I think the big thing here is with Jonathan Powell, because of what we just talked about and the overlap and how long they've been recruiting him, it was a little bit different a situation where you felt like, all right, we need to get this one done. Now... I don't think you're going to see a ton of action here in terms of commitments because a lot of the guys just aren't in decision-making mode yet. They like to play out July. July is a big month for travel ball because that's when you have two more evaluation periods for the college coaches, meaning when they go out and play all these AAU tournaments, there are certain tournaments where the coaches are allowed to come out, watch them in person, get another in-viewing uh, in-person viewing of them and and they can go on recruiting them from there. So a lot of guys kind of like to wait to get those last July evaluation periods out of the way, know, knowing, hey, no other coach is going to come see me play this year and decide, oh, we, we want to start recruiting that guy. And after all that's done with, then you start to see guys really get into that decision-making mode. And I think that's why last year, when you look at it, Xavier landed those four guys back to back to back in August like they did because that's just kind of when all that stuff starts to happen for a lot of these prospects. So you'll probably see something similar play out this year where they got Jonathan Powell early, and then you'll have to wait a few more months maybe before some of these other guys get into that decision-making mode. But it's possible with both Bishop Boswell and Jackson McAndrew that you were just talking about. They were on official visits last week uh, or within that last 10 days, I'd say, for both of them. And Xavier's going to be watching them again this weekend during an evaluation period, the staff will. And then from there, they're going to make a couple more visits this month. And it's possible maybe beginning or middle of July, we could see those guys get closer to, to pulling the trigger. But we'll continue to update you on those guys on the message board. And I think the other thing to keep in mind here with this 2024 class is it's probably going to be smaller. They took four guys in 2023. I think you're probably only looking at two, maybe three high school recruits for the 2024 class. What's the talent like in 2024 just in general? Is, is this a good class? Um, you know, that's a good question. And I'm not the best person to ask because I don't look at it from a national scale as much anymore. I used to care more about all the national guys. And as I've gotten older, I've kind of honed more in on just the guys Xavier's recruiting. Um, but I, I think from what I've heard, it's pretty good at, overall in terms of the depth of the class. I don't know how great it is at the top in terms of your elite guys, but overall, I think there's some decent depth here in 2024. Gotcha. Okay. Um, anything else on recruiting before we get into the schedule? Uh, I think the only other thing I would add is just that they're look for a focus on big men 
going forward okay. the rest of the way this summer. I, th- I mean, they're still going to recruit some guards. We just talked about Bishop Boswell, but I think Jackson McAndrew, RJ Jones Jr., a guy we've been talking about a lot on the message board out of Florida, another big man, 6'8", 225, coming off some injuries, really intriguing prospect, top 60 in the new two, uh, 247 sports rankings. Those are some of the guys that I think you'll hear a lot about here in the next month or so. Okay. All right. So now we have the schedule and we do have the full non-conference schedule. A couple of dates, Delaware uh, and Bryant, both of those dates haven't been settled yet. But outside of that, it's Delaware, Bryant, Robert Morris, Jacksonville at Purdue, um, then Oakland, Houston, Cincinnati, Winthrop. This is another loaded schedule for, for Xavier as far as the top end talent with going to Purdue, which is the only true non-conference road game on this schedule last year was the same way where Xavier's only true non-conference road game was going to Cincinnati. Now it's the Gavit game going to Purdue. That's on the road this year. You have Houston coming to Cintas. That is going to be electric. And then the shootout a week later um, and Winthrop thrown in there as well. I mean, this is, you know, Delaware, Brian, I mentioned them all already. This is a, uh, this, this should be a fun non-conference schedule. The Continental Tire thing is a little weird, to me at least. I still haven't seen an official release from anybody. I, like They're in it, but I haven't seen anything from anybody. And it's also... So the Continental Tire is the 17th. They play the first game. It's a four-team event in Las Vegas. The 17th is the first game. The 18th is the F1 race in Vegas. And the 19th is the second game. If you can afford to get out there and get to Vegas and do that, fantastic. That's one of the best weekends. That F1 race, to put it in perspective, if maybe if you don't follow F1, I I I do not. Let's assume I don't. Okay, so I I I am hooked on the on the show on the Drive to Survive on Netflix, and I'd actually uh, rather lose one of my eyes than watch F1 racing. If I'm being honest. So here's the thing with F1. Not to get down into a too too much of a tangent here, but the show is phenomenal, but the actual two hours of the race is awful. Like I just can't get into it. Like I, <laughs> I watched great. the, I watched the show. It was exciting. The drama was cool. I don't know how much of it was made for TV. Kind of like when you watch the full swing with with uh, the golf one, you'd think that Joel Damon and Sahit Tagala are like Tiger Woods if you didn't know golf because they get their own episodes. Yeah. So I don't really know with with F one if that's. Like, I don't know the dynamics to know that all that well. But what I do know is the actual two hours of the race, I just I just can't put myself through that. But everything else, the rich, the cars, the fun, the, the everything else, the drama, all that, great. Sign me up. Point Plus is, sport. as it relates, point it, yeah, great. So, well, it's like the NBA offseason. The point <laughs> is, as it relates to your Xavier Musketeers, that as you're listening to this, that F1 race in Las Vegas. It is the first time that F1 is racing in Las Vegas. They added that race to the calendar this year. That could be the biggest sporting event in the entire world in this in the calendar year 2023. What That's that happening. Mean? What does that mean? B- biggest what? B- biggest in what way? Like most people attending? Uh, j- when you say biggest, what do you mean? J- yeah. Not, not, not no, 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 not. Just, I think, just biggest in general. I think, I, honest wait, to God, I what, what, wait, like in TV ratings and attendance, what, what no, would make it the, the biggest? The spectacle. I think it's the biggest no. spectacle of the year. The, 
that's what's bigger. You guys, you, literally every mainstream sport that matters at all, which F, F, no, F1 in the world, in the world, in the world, though, in the world. I, I mean, I'm just not buying that. I'm sorry. Like soccer will let you guys have, but I'm not giving you guys F1 race. Well, yeah, but the World Cup's not happening this year. Right, but like we all agree, okay, soccer's big internationally, so we can call it the most popular sport. Not doing it with F1 racing. I'm sorry. It is not the biggest. But we're, we're going down a terrible rabbit hole right now. I hate Oh, we it. are. And, and somebody, you know what? You know what's happening here? Actually, isn't, I, you know, I'm going to take that back. Isn't the Women's World Cup happening this year? It could be. Now you're now you're just making us look sexy. You know what? You know what? You know what we're doing? This is the three minutes of the show that the people who know are, that are really into all this are screaming in their car. That's yeah. what's going on right now. They I'm are just that. Yeah, yeah. That, anyway, that happens yeah, like I, six times a week during the skinny podcast. I, the, win, <laughs> the women's were yeah, yeah, that was me when you guys were trying to call Vermont boring the other day. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, <Lord>. Vermont. <laughs> no offense. Yeah. yeah, the women's world cup is happening this year, July to July to August. So maybe I don't know. But the point is, it is a massive, massive sporting event that is happening in Las Vegas, and it is the day in between the Continental Tire Invitational. So the two biggest sporting events in the world, the Continental Tire Invitational and the F1 race in Vegas are both happening over the same weekend. Yeah. That um, is your that is your exempt event. And the four teams, uh, let me bring it up here real quick. Uh, I just had it. Just to uh, be clear, I think the women's soccer players should make as much money as they want. I don't care. Like, just to be clear that we're not sexist or anything and forgot about the World Cup. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we uh, wanted to clarify yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Who's the fourth team in this? Or is it still TBD? Because it was San Diego State, Washington, and Xavier. Have they announced the fourth team yet? Yeah. Yeah, they did. I, um, I uh-oh. This is they, great they, podcasting. Keep yeah, all this they, in. They, they announced it. They announced it. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. Keep all this in. Hon- honestly, who cares, We're, though? Why? Like, <laughs> I can't find it. Oh, this is great. Continental Tire Invitational 2023. No, I don't know. I don't know who the who the who the last team is. I got nothing. But see, uh, that's what I'm saying. This event just okay. So let's back it up a second here because I know there was a lot of disappointment about the Savannah tournament. It sounded to me from what I got from from talking to some people about the Savannah tournament that that was a major overpromise, underdeliver situation. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with that is that they just weren't able to get TV rights. They were able to get a TV deal. They weren't going to be on TV. So it's like, well, everyone started bailing on them. Yeah. The, so the, I, the oh, thing that the reason this is happening, I think, is because teams like Xavier are trying to find two game events as opposed to these three game tournaments. And so that's what kind of opened up the opportunity for some of these new events to entice them into signing up for them because it was like yeah we're looking for a two-game event we don't want to commit to three games anymore during that time of the year if you listen to that last podcast uh we did with mario i don't know if you're on that or not but the last podcast we did with mario he talked about that exact thing which is that they they wanted to it just didn't make sense any longer to play these three-game events so i think that's how the savannah thing came about and then it ended up just Probably not being done by the best organizers. So St. Saint, Saint Mary's is the fourth team. There we go. St. Mary's. St. Mary's. St. Mary's is the fourth team. Um, I also heard that the Savannah tournament, that they were trying to find that fourth team, that it was going to end up being a quad four game and that the teams had been promised. Mm-hmm. Um, the teams had been promised to power five games and that it wasn't going to end up being that. And that both the 
the broadcast rights and everything else, plus the combination of a quad four plus a, a one power five game wasn't enticing anymore. So all of that combined, you know, I, I saw a lot of people complaining on the message board about that they, you know, they moved from Savannah to Las Vegas. It wasn't that they moved. It was that the Savannah tournament is not happening. They scrambled to find something else as a substitute and Vegas is what they came up with. It wasn't that they just said, oh, we're going to pull out of Savannah and go to Vegas instead. So just to be clear on that, because I know Savannah that week, I, I trust me, I mean, I was looking forward to going down there. I had a lot of friends that were looking forward to going down there. It was going to be a great week to do that. Uh, in afford to ball out with those F1 guys, though. We'll see you in Vegas. $10,000 to sit right next to the track. That's Why nothing not? to big league, Paul. Absolutely. Just a couple rolls on the table, baby. Anything else on the schedule? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think, you know, normally we'd be like, oh, what's the toughest game? But it's pretty obvious here. You've got to go to Purdue as your only true road game during the non-conference slate. And they got Zach Eady back. They're going to probably be a yeah. top five team. So uh, Purdue is clearly the toughest game. Houston isn't too far behind. That's another top 10 team, at least I would think, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen Houston's roster though. Now that the deadline has passed and who they have coming back and who they lost, but yeah, I mean they, still, they lost I, a lot. There are definitely question marks, but I mean he's got a pretty good track record of putting this thing together, yes. and they've got some talent coming in. So I think Houston is going to be. I mean, I would say top fifteen at worst, probably top yes. ten going into oh, the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, they could falter early, maybe before they play Xavier, but those are you're looking at two potential top ten games in your non-conference slate. That's that's pretty good, especially when you play in the Big East Conference. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Zach what, what were your point. thoughts? Seamus Lukosius going to UC. That's adds a, I mean, Cincinnati best player, potentially being a former Butler player. That's a perfect shootout storyline. Is it not? Oh, this is going to be absolutely electric. Look, he, he's somebody that. Kind of a Xavier I, killer. I, look, I mean, that was what was running that, through what, my head. Like yeah. 30 point, 27 point game or whatever it was. Didn't he have one like crazy game against Xavier? It, well, oh, yeah. Well, he was yeah. the one in the Big East tournament. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Xavier Killer. That's what they say. That's what they say. So, yeah. It, it, if nothing else, it'll make for a storyline. CJ Frederick going over there, too. So, local. Yeah. But, local. And, and, could have ended Former up with Xavier, Xavier at one point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Xavier was recruiting yeah. him pretty heavily as a high school prospect out of Cuffcat. What do we think about UC this year? Tough to call. I mean, yeah. I think they're better. I think. Am I? The, the problem, they're better, they're better overall. They're deeper. But the problem is, I don't know if their best players are better than David DeJulius and Landers Nolly. Am I allowed to say it's a Cleveland Brown situation? Where we just, they always win the offseason, but then... You have to actually see the results on the court. I mean, that's that's what you're waiting on, right? I think so. I mean, last year, I don't think – I don't know if I would have given them that they won the offseason. I don't – like I was saying last year, it's like I think I would have done oh, last more year, yeah, with yeah. that roster. This oh, year – yeah, this year, I mean, like I, I, I definitely think they did what they needed to do, which is find a new starting lineup because they did not have enough talent on the roster. The question is now is – is the the talent is is much better than what it was when the offseason started. If they were going to the AAC, I'd feel pretty good about them being competitive. Going to the Big 12, man, it's just it's tough. It's a different animal. And like, how much better are they than last year? I'm not sure we know that yet. Like, if they're even better at all, I think they might be, but it, I think it's probably somewhat incremental. 
Yeah, I think if you're asking me, are they better or are they worse? I I would say that they're better than last year, just on paper, yeah. just looking at I, what they've I, done. I really with their like roster. the latest edition, Assis Bandago. I think that's how you say it. Um, the big fella, though, seven foot yeah. guy from Utah Where Valley. That Utah play, Valley. Oh yeah, yeah the, they played the, against they, them. In they the lost NIT. to the NIT. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's going to be a nice ad for them, and I, and I to, he he's the good. guy that takes their transfer portal hall to another level, in my opinion. Like the CJ Frederick Seamus Lukosius was important. That was good. But you add a legit starting big man now to go in the front court with Vic. You have a little, and Jameel Reynolds, which they got from uh, Temple. Temple. I think, yeah, I think that you, you now have a little bit more real talent to go with some depth in that front court. And, and that's going to help them. They needed that. All right. Anything else uh, on the schedule? A couple more things to clean up here for the summer. Um, but anything else on the schedule? No, I think that's it. I mean, we it's kind of weird that we know all the games already at the at this point with yeah. no any type of release yet. It's just nature of the social media game, I guess. At this point, they all trickle out in yeah. one tweet increments. All right. Uh NBA draft coming up. Colby Jones just did an interview with the Pacers the other day talking about how he'd love to play for the Pacers because it's right up the road from Cincinnati and Xavier and everything else. Um any any thoughts on what you've heard lately, Rick, with Colby and his latest NBA projections? Well, the Pacers have like a bunch of picks in that, like yeah, in this draft, and they're right around that spot, end of the first round, where you think he might go. So it seems like the Pacers have been a popular pick in the mock drafts for him to end up there. Um, in terms of where he's going to end up getting drafted, it feels pretty certain that it's like right around that bottom of the first round or early in the second round spot. And obviously there's a big difference between those two things, but um, I, I just don't think we're, it's very clear at all, whether or not he's a first rounder or second rounder. Like I don't see any momentum that he's moving up into that middle of the first round and, and clearly going to be in there. I don't feel like it's clear that he's fallen down and is definitely going to be a second round guy. He's, he's right on that cutoff line. I think of the first and second round at this point. And then the other thing, too, to talk about, last thing that we have here on our rundown, zip them up, coming back, added some roster pieces here. That'll be in the uh, latter part of July, the 20s, uh, July 21st, 22nd, and 24th, I believe, are the dates of the TBT. And the one thing I will say about that uh, outside of the roster is that the ticket prices are going to be a lot more affordable this year. Um, than they were. I know a lot of people had talked about, you know, the all session prices or whatever. I know that ticket prices are are going to be uh, more affordable this year, just, you know, for at least the one games, if you just want to go to the zip them up games, whatever it might be. Um, but as far as the roster goes, I saw James Farr got added, uh, Kaiser Gates, and a lot of the guys from last year too coming back. Uh, Mark Lyons coming back. Should be run it back to have another fun, fun season. JP too, right? Everybody... Everybody kind of doing the same thing back over again. Should be should be a fun one. Yeah, I, I think uh, you can already. You said you can already get your tickets. To that right? They're already available for purchase. So you can get your tickets. I think it's all session passes that you can buy right now. I don't know okay. if the single game. I think once the schedule actually comes out for that, um, then that's when you can actually get your your single game stuff. But there are tickets available right now that you can buy. Yes. Yeah. And there's guys that are posting all the details about that on yeah. the, the message board as well. So I don't know. There's a lot to add there other than it just seems like this has grown into a nice thing for the Xavier community. It, like when there's not a lot going on at all that time of year, it is nice to have this random alumni event where you get to bring back some 
good memories, make some new ones and, and see some familiar faces. So it felt like it worked out really well for everybody last year. And as long as they at least win a, a game or two and stay alive, so people get the chance to have some fun with them, then it, it all works out pretty well. Yep. All right, Rick, anything else? I mean, wait, I think that's hold it, on, Paul. hold on. I got, I got one yeah. more thing. This is, this is way off, way off base, but All I right. was going to bring it up during the schedule. Are we buying FAU as a top five team? No, neither not, am I. Not top five. The, FAU, by the way, coming to Truist Arena this year. Yes. The, home, the home, return of the home and home, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So uh, that'll be a good game for NKU. If you want to come see some good, mid-major basketball in the non-conference slate i mean like look i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to sit here and be a debbie downer in june on a great feel-good store i'm not trying to to do that but like we did the same thing with north carolina last year put them preseason number one and and look at what happened well it's i think it's a little bit different saying a traditional blue blood though yes is going to be you know what i mean well like i I have a great tournament yeah yeah i would say i'm even more with you on this point because of the fact that it's florida atlantic and not freaking north carolina um it's amazing then the transfer portal era that you had these talented experienced dudes that showcased themselves in the best way you could possibly do and they all decided to not only come back but they didn't transfer either I mean, like come back and not go pro, but they all decided to stay at Florida Atlantic and not chase greener pastures or NIL bags or anything like that. Can't chase can't chase much greener than Boca Raton, though. (laughs) I don't know. You haven't been to Florida Atlantic's uh, facilities and campus. I mean, they've had really zero previous success. And like when NKU played them in the non-conference there last year, there was nobody at the game. I saw. I remember the picture. No, there was what like ten people in that picture. Yeah, like I mean that was. You know, there was maybe the same on the other side of the stands. You only saw one from my vantage point, but it was nobody at all there. So, like, this is a commuter campus and something that it's hard to get that thing rolling. So I was surprised that he was able to bring all those guys back and uh, that he stayed himself, (laughs) by the way. Yeah. And um, I mean, they're they're in content. I think they should be top 15, probably. I don't. Yeah. I'm not buying top five. Yeah. But I, I keep seeing them floating around up there in the top five of these all these way too early preseason polls, and I'm going, you know, maybe we maybe we just let them do their thing. Maybe we just let the owls be the owls. Although you would think they should just run through their slate this year. Yeah, like with all no, that gonna returning that. experience and confidence, they should have a monster non-conference and CUSA run. I'm gonna have that owls theme song just stuck in my head now. From you, Kennesaw you, State. Love the Kennesaw State Owl theme song. It was so good, Rick. It was so good. Give us a rendition. Go ahead. Sing us out. It was. You don't want to go to war with the owls, with the owls. It was so good. The whole place. Yep. It was a banger. Yep. All right. Well, we don't need to do anything like that. No, it was great being with you, Rick. It was great talking. Likewise, Paul. Thank you for this. All right. We uh, we'll do this again soon. Maybe we'll do uh, we'll do another summer one somewhere before or after the the Bahamas trip. Yeah, um, you know what we need to do. Uh, it's not like not too distant future too. Is get a uh, little Twitter spaces going. Just talk to the people, see what they're thinking. Let's do it. All right, awesome, John. Sounds so, good. Thanks yep. for listening, everybody. Uh, and again, 
the deal one last pitch, Rick. 50% 50 off musketeerreport.com. We'll fire that up. Uh, You know, this won't come out until Friday morning, so the sale will be up by then. 50% off. Sign up. You need a last-minute Father's Day gift. Uh, In all seriousness, people, this is the thing that one of the coolest things I I hear from fans that has started happening is people have started doing this for, like, Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, where they just have, like, an old dad who's not very online. They sign him up for the message board. They, like, teach him how to use it. And, like, they're like, yeah, my dad's on there, like, 30 times a day now talking crap to you, telling me all the things you get wrong. And I just re re up his subscription every year for his birthday or Christmas or father's day or what have you. And now we've got that gift figured out for an old grumpy man. who was hard to buy for Like if you need a last minute father's day gift, this is the place to do it. 50% off. Yeah. All right, Rick, great talking to you. And uh, we'll see you soon.